Section 14 of Lives of the Saints with Reflections for Every Day of the Year by Reverend Alvin Butler. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Maria Therese. July 1st, St. Gall, Bishop. St. Gall was born at Clermont in Auvergne about the year 489. His father was of the first houses of that province, and his mother was descended from the family of Fetius Abogatus the celebrated Roman who suffered at Lyons for the faith of Christ. They both took special care of the education of their son, and when he arrived at the proper age, proposed to have him married to the daughter of a respectable senator. The saint, who had taken a resolution to consecrate himself to God, withdrew privately from his father's house to the monastery of Cornon, near the city of Averne, and earnestly prayed to be admitted there among the monks, and having soon after obtained the consent of his parents, he with joy renounced all worldly vanities to embrace religious poverty. Here his eminent virtues distinguished him in a particular manner, and recommended him to Quintianus, bishop of Averne, who promoted him to holy orders. The bishop dying in 527, St. Gall was appointed to succeed him, and in this new character his humility, charity, and zeal were conspicuous, above all his patience in bearing injuries. Being once struck on the head by a brutal man, he discovered not the least emotion of anger or resentment, and by this meekness disarmed the savage of his rage. At another time, Evodius, who from a senator became a priest, having so far forgotten himself as to treat him in the most insulting manner, the saint, without making the least reply, arose meekly from his seat, and went to visit the churches of the city. Evodius was so touched by this conduct that he cast himself at the saint's feet, in the middle of the street, and asked his pardon. From this time they both lived on terms of the most cordial friendship. St. Gall was favored with the gift of miracles, and died about the year 553. July 2nd, The Visitation of the Blessed Virgin The angel Gabriel, in the mystery of the Annunciation, informed the Mother of God that her cousin Elizabeth had miraculously conceived and was impregnant with a son, who was to be the precursor of the Messiah. The Blessed Virgin, out of humility, concealed the wonderful dignity to which she was raised by the incarnation of the Son of God in her womb, but, in the transport of her holy joy and gratitude, determined she would go to congratulate the mother of the Baptist. Mary therefore arose, saith St. Luke, and with haste went into the hilly country, into a city of Judea, and entering into the house of Zachary, saluted Elizabeth. What a blessing did the presence of the God-man bring to this house! the first which he honored in his humanity with his visit. But Mary is the instrument and means by which he imparts to it his divine benediction, to show us that she is a channel through which he delights to communicate to us his graces, and to encourage us to ask them of him through her intercession. At the voice of the Mother of God, but by the power of the grace of her divine Son in her womb, Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Ghost, and the infant in her womb conceived so great a joy as to leap and exult. At the same time, Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Ghost, and by his infused light she understood the great mystery of the Incarnation, which God had wrought in Mary, whom humility prevented from disclosing it even to a saint and an intimate friend. In raptures of astonishment, Elizabeth pronounced her blessed above all other women, and cried out, Whence is this to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Mary, hearing her own praise, sunk the lower in the abyss of her nothingness, and in the transport of her humility, and melting in an ecstasy of love and gratitude, 
burst into the admirable canticle, the Magnificat. Mary stayed with her cousin almost three months, after which she returned to Nazareth. Reflection Whilst with the Church we praise God for the mercies and wonders which he wrought in this mystery, we ought to apply ourselves to the imitation of the virtues of which Mary sets us a perfect example. From her we ought particularly to learn the lessons by which we shall sanctify our visits and conversation, actions which are to so many Christians the source of innumerable dangers and sins. July 3rd, St. Heliodorus, Bishop This saint was born out Dalmatia, St. Jerome's native country, and soon sought out that great doctor, in order not only to follow his advice in matters relating to Christian perfection, but also to profit by his deep learning. The life of a recluse possessed peculiar attractions for him, but to enter a monastery it would be necessary to leave his spiritual master and director, and such a sacrifice he was not prepared to make. He remained in the world, though not of it, and following the example of the holy anchorites, passed his time in prayer and devout reading. He accompanied St. Jerome to the east, but the desire to revisit his native land and to see his parents once more drew him back to Dalmatia, although St. Jerome tried to persuade him to remain. He promised to return as soon as he had fulfilled the duty he owed his parents. In the meantime, finding his absence protracted, and fearing that the love of family and attachment to worldly things might lure him from his vocation, St. Jerome wrote him an earnest letter, exhorting him to break entirely with the world and to consecrate himself to the service of God. But the Lord who disposes all things had another mission for his servant. After the death of his mother, Heliodorus went to Italy, where he soon became noted for his eminent piety. He was made Bishop of Altino and became one of the most distinguished prelates of an age fruitful in great men. He died about the year 290. July 4th, St. Bertha, Widow, Abbess Bertha was the daughter of Count Rigobert and Ursana, related to one of the kings of Kent in England. In the twentieth year of her age, she was married to Sigifroy, by whom she had five daughters, two of whom, Gertrude and Diotilla, are saints. After her husband's death, she put on the veil in the nunnery, which she had built at Blangy in Artois, a little distance from Hesden. Her daughters, Gertrude and Diotilla, followed her example. She was persecuted by Roger, or Rotgar, who endeavored to asperse her with King Thierry III to revenge his being refused Gertrude in marriage. But this prince, convinced of the innocence of Bertha, then abbess over her nunnery, gave her a kind reception, and took her under his protection. On her return to Blangy, Bertha finished her nunnery, and caused three churches to be built, one in honor of St. Omer, another she called after St. Vast, and the third in honor of St. Martin of Tours. And then, after establishing a regular observance in her community, she left St. Diotilla, abbess in her stead, and shut herself in a cell, to pass the remainder of her days in prayer. She died about the year 725. A great part of her relics are kept at Blangy. July 5th, St. Peter of Luxembourg Peter of Luxembourg, descended both by his father and mother from the noblest families in Europe, was born in Lorraine in the year 1369. When but a schoolboy, twelve years of age, he went to London as a hostage for his brother, the Count of St. Paul, who had been taken prisoner. The English were so won by Peter's holy example that they released him at the end of the year, taking his word for the ransom. Richard II now invited him to remain at the English court, but Peter returned to Paris, 
determined to have no master but Christ. At the early age of fifteen, he was appointed, on account of his prudence and sanctity, Bishop of Mentz, and made his public entry into his see, barefoot in riding an ass. He governed his diocese with all the zeal and prudence of maturity, and divided his revenues in three parts, for the church, the poor, and his household. His charities often left him personally destitute, and he had but twenty pence left when he died. Created Cardinal of St. George, his austerities in the midst of a court were so severe that he was ordered to moderate them. Peter replied, I shall always be an unprofitable servant, but I can at least obey. Ten months after his promotion he fell sick of a fever, and lingering for some time in a sinking condition, his holiness increasing as he drew near his end. St. Peter, it was believed, never stained his soul by mortal sin, yet as he grew in grace his holy hatred of self became more and more intense. At length, when he had received the last sacraments, he forced his attendants each in turn to scourge him for his faults, and then lay silent till he died. But God was pleased to glorify his servant. Among other miracles is the following. On July fifth, 1432, a child about twelve years old was killed by falling from a high tower in the palace of Avignon upon a sharp rock. The father, distracted with grief, picked up the scattered pieces of the skull and brains and carried them in a sack with the mutilated body of his son to St. Peter's shrine, and with many tears besought the saint's intercession. After a while the child returned to life and was placed upon the altar for all to witness. In honor of this miracle, the city of Avignon chose St. Peter as its patron saint. He died in 1387, aged 18 years. Reflection St. Peter teaches us how, by self-denial, rank, riches, the highest dignities, and all this world can give, may serve to make a saint. July 6th, St. Gore, Priest St. Gore was born of an illustrious family at Aquitaine. From his youth he was noted for his earnest piety, and having been raised to sacred orders, he converted many sinners by the fervor of his preaching and the force of his example. Wishing to serve God entirely unknown to the world, he went over into Germany, and settling in the neighborhood of Trier, he shut himself up in his cell, and arrived at such an eminent degree of sanctity as to be esteemed the oracle and miracle of the whole country. Sigebert, king of Austrasia, learning of the sanctity of Goar, wished to have him made bishop of Mentz, and for that purpose summoned him to court. The saint, fearing the responsibilities of the office, prayed that he might be excused. He was seized with a fever and died in 575. St. Palladius, Bishop, Apostle of the Scots The name of Palladius shows this saint to have been a Roman, and most authors agree that he was deacon of the Church of Rome. At least St. Prosper, in his chronicle, informs us that when Agricola, a noted Pelagian, had corrupted the churches of Britain by introducing that pestilential heresy, Pope Celestine, at the instance of Palladius the deacon, in 429, sent thither St. Germanus, bishop of Auxerre, in quality of his legate, who, having ejected the heretics, brought back the Britons to the Catholic faith. In 431, Pope Celestine sent Palladius, the first bishop, to the Scots, then believing in Christ. The Irish writers of the lives of St. Patrick say that St. Palladius had preached in Ireland a little before St. Patrick, but that he was soon banished by the king of Leinster, and returned to North Britain, 
where he had first opened his mission. There seems to be no doubt that he was sent to the whole nation of the Scots, several colonies of whom had passed from Ireland into North Britain, and possessed themselves of part of the country since called Scotland. After St. Palladius had left Ireland, he arrived among the Scots in North Britain, according to St. Prosper, in the consulate of Bassus and Antiochus in the year of Christ 431. He preached there with great zeal and formed a considerable church. The Scottish historians tell us that the faith was planted in North Britain about the year 200, in the time of King Donald, when Victor was Pope of Rome. But they all acknowledge that Palladius was the first bishop in that country, and style him their first apostle. The saint died at Forden, fifteen miles from Aberdeen, about the year 450. Reflection St. Palladius surmounted every obstacle which a fierce nation had opposed to the establishment of the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Ought not our hearts to be impressed with the most lively sentiments of love and gratitude to our merciful God for having raised up such great and zealous men, by whose ministry the light of true faith has been conveyed to us? July 7th, St. Patinus, Father of the Church This learned father and apostolic man flourished in the second century. He was by birth a Sicilian, by profession a Stoic philosopher. His esteem for virtue led him into an acquaintance with the Christians, and being charmed with the innocence and sanctity of their conversation, he opened his eyes to the truth. He studied the Holy Scriptures under the disciples of the Apostles, and his thirst after sacred learning brought him to Alexandria in Egypt, where the disciples of St. Mark had instituted a celebrated school of the Christian doctrine. Pantinus sought not to display his talents in that great mart of literature and commerce, but this great progress in sacred learning was after some time discovered, and he was drawn out of that obscurity in which his humility sought to bury itself. Being placed at the head of the Christian school some time before the year 179, by his learning and excellent manner of teaching, he raised his reputation above all the schools of the philosophers, and the lessons which he read, and which were gathered from the flowers of the prophets and apostles, conveyed light and knowledge into the minds of all his hearers. The Indians, who traded at Alexandria, entreated him to pay their country a visit, whereupon he forsook his school and went to preach the gospel to the eastern nations. St. Pantinus found some seeds of the faith already sown in the Indies, and a book of the gospel of St. Matthew in Hebrew, which St. Bartholomew had carried thither. He brought it back with him to Alexandria, whither he returned after he had zealously employed some years in instructing the Indians in the faith. St. Pantinus continued to teach in private till about the year 216, when he closed a noble and excellent life by a happy death. Reflection Have a care that none lead you astray by a false philosophy, says St. Paul, for philosophy without religion is a vain thing. July 8th, St. Elizabeth of Portugal Elizabeth was born in 1271. She was daughter of Pedro III of Aragon, being named after her aunt, St. Elizabeth of Hungary. At twelve years of age she was given in marriage to Denis, king of Portugal, and from a holy child became a saintly wife. She heard Mass and recited the divine office daily, but her devotions were arranged with such prudence that they interfered with no duty of her state. She prepared for her frequent communions by severe austerities, fasting thrice a week, and by heroic works of charity. She was several times called on to make peace between her husband and her son, Alfonso, who had taken up arms against him. 
Her husband tried her much, both by his unfounded jealousy and by his infidelity to herself. A slander affecting Elizabeth and one of her pages made the king determine to slay the youth, and he told a lime-burner to cast into his kiln the first page who should arrive with a royal message. On the day fixed, the page was sent, but the boy, who was in the habit of hearing mass daily, stopped on his way to do so. The king, in suspense, sent a second page, the very originator of the calumny, who, coming first to the kiln, was at once cast into the furnace and burned. Shortly after, the first page arrived from the church, and took back to the king the lime-burner's reply that his orders had been fulfilled. Thus, hearing mass saved the page's life and proved the queen's innocence. Her patience and the wonderful sweetness with which she even cherished the children of her rivals completely won the king from his evil ways, and he became a devoted husband and a truly Christian king. She built many charitable institutions and religious houses, among others a convent of poor Clares. After her husband's death, she wished to enter their order, but being dissuaded by her people, who could not do without her, she took the habit of the third order of St. Francis, and spent the rest of her life in redoubled austerities and almsgiving. She died at the age of sixty-five, while in the act of making peace between her children. Reflection In the holy sacrifice of the altar, St. Elizabeth daily found strength to bear with sweetness, suspicion, and cruelty. And by what same holy sacrifice her innocence was proved? What succor do we forfeit by neglect of daily mass? July ninth, St. Ephraim, Deacon St. Ephraim is the light and glory of the Syriac Church. A mere youth, he entered on the religious life at Nisibis, his native place. Long years of retirement taught him the science of the saints, and then God called him to Edessa, there to teach what he had learned so well. He defended the faith against heresies, in books which have made him known as the prophet of the Syrians. Crowds hung upon his words. Tears used to stop his voice when he preached. He trembled and made his hearers tremble at the thought of God's judgments but he found in compunction and humility the way to peace, and he rested with unshaken confidence in the mercy of our blessed Lord. I am setting out, he says, speaking of his own death, I am setting out on a journey hard and dangerous. Thee, O Son of God, I have taken for my viaticum. When I am hungry, I will feed on thee. The infernal fire will not venture near me, for it cannot bear the fragments of thy body and thy blood. His hymns won the hearts of the people, drove out the hymns of the Gnostic heretics, and gained for him the title which he bears in the Syriac liturgy to this day, the Harp of the Holy Ghost. Passionate as he was by nature, from the time he entered religion, no one ever saw him angry. Abounding in labors to the last, he toiled for the suffering poor at Edessa, in the famine of 378, and there lay down to die in extreme old age. What was the secret of success, so various and so complete? Humility, which made him distrust himself and trust God. Till his death, he wept for the slight sins committed in the thoughtlessness of boyhood. He refused the dignity of the priesthood. I, he told St. Basil, whom he went to see at the bidding of the Holy Spirit, I am that Ephraim who has wandered from the path of heaven. Then bursting into tears, he cried out, O oh, my father, have pity on a sinful wretch, and lead me on the narrow way. Reflection. Humility is the path which leads to abiding peace and brings us near to the consolations of God.
July 10th, The Seven Brothers, Martyrs, and St. Felicitas, Their Mother. The illustrious martyrdom of these saints happened at Rome under the Emperor Antoninus. The seven brothers were the sons of St. Felicitas, a noble pious Christian widow in Rome, who, after the death of her husband, served God in a state of continency, and employed herself wholly in prayer, fasting, and works of charity. By the public and edifying example of this lady, and her whole family, many idolaters were moved to renounce the worship of their false gods, and to embrace the faith of Christ. This excited the anger of the heathen priests, who complained to the emperor that the boldness with which Felicitas publicly practiced the Christian religion drew many from the worship of the immortal gods, who were the guardians and protectors of the empire, and that, in order to appease these false gods, it was necessary to compel this lady and her children to sacrifice to them. Pubilus, the prefect of Rome, caused the mother and her sons to be apprehended, and brought before him, and, addressing her, said, Take pity on your children, Felicitas. They are in the bloom of youth, and may aspire to the greatest honors and preferments. The Holy Mother answered, Your pity is really impiety, and the compassion to which you exhort me would make me the most cruel of mothers. Then turning herself towards her children, she said to them, My sons, look up to heaven, where Jesus Christ with his saints expects you. Be faithful in his love, and fight courageously for your souls. Pubilus, being exasperated at this behavior, commanded her to be cruelly buffeted. He then called the children to him one after another, and used many artful speeches, mingling promises with threats to induce them to adore the gods. His arguments and threats were equally in vain, and the brothers were condemned to be scourged. After being whipped, they were remanded to prison, and the prefect, despairing to overcome their resolution, laid the whole process before the emperor. Antoninus gave an order that they should be sent to different judges and be condemned to different deaths. Januarius was scourged to death with whips loaded with plummets of lead. The next two, Felix and Philip, were beaten with clubs till they expired. Silvanus, the fourth, was thrown headlong down a steep precipice. The three youngest, Alexander, Vitalis, and Martialis, were beheaded, and the same sentence was executed upon their mother four months after. Reflection. What afflictions do parents daily meet with from the disorders into which their children fall through their own bad example or neglect? Let them imitate the earnestness of St. Felicitas in forming to perfect virtue the tender souls which God hath committed to their charge. And with this saint they will have the greatest of all comforts in them, and will by his grace count as many saints in their family as they are blessed with children. July 11th. St. James Bishop. This eminent saint and glorious doctor of the Syriac Church was a native of Nisibis in Mesopotamia. In his youth, entering the world, he trembled at the sight of its vices and the slippery path of its pleasures, and he thought it a safer part to strengthen himself in retirement, that he might afterward be the better able to stand his ground in the field. He accordingly chose the highest mountain for his abode, sheltering himself in a cave in the winter, and the rest of the year living in the woods, continually exposed to the open air. Notwithstanding his desire to live unknown to men, he was discovered, and many were not afraid to climb the rugged rocks that they might recommend themselves to his prayers, and receive the comfort of his spiritual advice. He was favored with the gifts of prophecy and miracles in an uncommon measure. One day, as he was traveling, he was accosted by a gang of beggars with the view of extorting money from him under pretense of burying their companion. 
who lay stretched on the ground as if he were dead. The holy man gave them what they asked, and, offering up supplications to God as for a soul departed, he prayed that his divine majesty would pardon him the sins he had committed whilst he lived, and that he would admit him into the company of the saints. As soon as the saint was gone by, the beggars called upon their companion to rise and take his share of the booty. They were surprised to find him really dead. Seized with sudden fear and grief, they shrieked in the utmost consternation, and immediately ran after the man of God, cast themselves at his feet, confessed the cheat, begged forgiveness, and besought him by his prayers to restore their unhappy companion to life, which the saint did. The most famous miracle of our saint was that by which he protected his native city from the barbarians. Saper II, the haughty king of Persia, besieged Nisibis with the whole strength of his empire, whilst our saint was bishop. The bishop would not pray for the destruction of anyone, but he implored the divine mercy that the city might be delivered from the calamities of so long a siege. Afterward, going to the top of a high tower and turning his face toward the enemy, and seeing the prodigious multitude of men and beasts which covered the whole country, he said, Lord, thou art able by the weakest means to humble the pride of thy enemies, defeat these multitudes by an army of gnats. God heard the humble prayer of his servant. Scarce had the saint spoken those words, then whole clouds of gnats and flies came pouring down upon the Persians, got into the elephant's trunks, and the horse's ears and nostrils, which made them chaff and foam, throw their riders, and put the whole army into confusion and disorder. A famine and pestilence, which followed, carried off a great part of the army, and Sapor, after lying above three months before the place, set fire to all his own engines of war, and was forced to abandon the siege, and return home with a loss of twenty thousand men. Sapor received the third foil under the walls of Nisibis in 359, upon which he turned his arms against Amadis, took that strong city, and put the garrison and the greatest part of the inhabitants to the sword. The citizens of Nisibis attributed their preservation to the intercession of their glorious patron, St. James, although he had already gone to his reward. He died in 350. July 12th, St. John Galbert. St. John Galbert was born at Florence, A.D. 999. Following the profession of arms at that troubled period, he became involved in a blood feud with a near relative. One good Friday, as he was riding into Florence, accompanied by armed men, he encountered his enemy in a place where neither could avoid the other. John would have slain him, but his adversary, who was totally unprepared to fight, fell upon his knees with his arms stretched out in the form of a cross, and implored him for the sake of our Lord's holy passion to spare his life. St. John said to his enemy, I cannot refuse what you ask in Christ's name. I grant you your life, and I give you my friendship. Pray that God may forgive me my sin. Grace triumphed. A humble and changed man, he entered the church of Minato, which was near, and whilst he prayed, the figure of our crucified Lord, before which he was kneeling, bowed its head toward him, as if to ratify his pardon. Abandoning the world, he gave himself up to prayer and penance in the Benedictine order. Later he was led to found the congregation called of Vallombrosa, from the shady valley a few miles from Florence, where he established his first monastery. Once the enemies of the saint came to his convent of St. Salvi, plundered it, and set fire to it, and having treated the monks with ignominy, beat them and wounded them. St. John rejoiced. Now, he said, you are true monks. Would that I myself had had the honor of being with you when the soldiers came, 
that I might have had a share in the glory of your crowns. He fought manfully against Simony, and in many ways promoted the interests of the faith in Italy. After a life of great austerity, he died whilst the angels were singing round his bed, July eleventh, 1073. Reflection The heroic act which merited for St. John Galbert his conversion was the forgiving of his enemy. Let us imitate him in this virtue, resolving never to revenge ourselves in deed, in word, or in thought. July 13th, St. Eugenius, Bishop The Episcopal See of Carthage had remained vacant twenty-four years, when, in 481, Uneric permitted the Catholics on certain conditions to choose one who should fill it. The people, impatient to enjoy the comfort of a pastor, pitched upon Eugenius, a citizen of Carthage, eminent for his learning, zeal, piety, and prudence. His charities to the distress were excessive, and he refused himself everything that he might give all to the poor. His virtue gained him the respect and esteem even of the Arians, but at length envy and blind zeal got the ascendant in their breasts. And the king sent him an order never to sit on the episcopal throne, preach to the people, or admit into his chapel any vandals, among whom several were Catholics. The saint boldly answered that the laws of God commanded him not to shut the door of his church to any that desired to serve him in it. Uneric, enraged at this answer, persecuted the Catholics in various ways. Many nuns were so cruelly tortured that they died on the rack. Great numbers of bishops, priests, deacons, and eminent Catholic laymen were banished to a desert filled with scorpions and venomous serpents. The people followed their bishops and priests with lighted tapers in their hands, and mothers carried their little babes in their arms, and laid them at the feet of the confessors, all crying out with tears, Going yourself to your crowns, to whom do you leave us? Who will baptize our children? Who will impart to us the benefit of penance, and discharge us from the bonds of sin by the favor of reconciliation and pardon? Who will bury us with solemn supplications at our death? By whom will the divine sacrifice be made? The bishop Eugenius was spared in the first storm, but afterwards was carried into the uninhabited desert country in the province of Tripolis, and committed to the guard of Antony, an inhumane Arian bishop, who treated him with the utmost barbarity. Gontamund, who succeeded Huneric, recalled our saint to Carthage, opened the Catholic churches, and allowed all the exiled priests to return. After reigning twelve years, Gontamund died, and his brother Thrasimund was called to the crown. Under this prince, St. Eugenius was again banished and died in exile on the 13th of July, 505, in a monastery which he built and governed near Albi. Reflection Alms shall be a great confidence before the Most High God to them that give it. Water quencheth a flaming fire, and alms resisteth sin. July 14th, St. Bonaventure Sanctity and learning raised Bonaventure to the Church's highest honor, and from a child he was the companion of saints. Yet at heart he was ever the poor Franciscan friar, and practiced and taught humility and mortification. St. Francis gave him his name, for having miraculously cured him of a mortal sickness, he prophetically exclaimed with the child, O Bonaventura, good luck. He is known also as a seraphic doctor, from the fervor of divine love which breathes in his writings. He was the friend of St. Thomas Aquinas, who asked him one day whence he drew his great learning. He replied by pointing to his crucifix. At another time St. Thomas found him in ecstasy while writing the life of St. Francis, and exclaimed, Let us leave a saint to write of a saint. 
they received the doctor's cap together. He was the guest and advisor of St. Louis, and the director of St. Isabella, the king's sister. At the age of thirty-five he was made general of his order, and only escaped another dignity, the archbishopric of York, by dint of tears and entreaties. Gregory X appointed him Cardinal Bishop of Albano. When the saint heard of the Pope's resolve to create him a cardinal, he quietly made his escape from Italy, but Gregory sent him a summons to return to Rome. On his way he stopped to rest himself at a convent of his order near Florence, and there two papal messengers sent to meet him with the cardinal's hat found him washing the dishes. The saint desired them to hang the hat on a bush that was near, and take a walk in the garden until he had finished what he was about. Then taking up the hat with unfeigned sorrow, he joined the messengers and paid them the respect due to their character. He sat at the pompous right hand and spoke first at the Council of Lyons. His piety and eloquence won over the Greeks the Catholic Union, and then his strength failed. He died while the council was sitting and was buried by the assembled bishops, A.D. 1274. Reflection The fear of God, says St. Bonaventure, forbids a man to give his heart to transitory things, which are the true seeds of sin. July 15th, St. Henry, Emperor Henry, Duke of Bavaria, saw in a vision his guardian, St. Wolfgang, pointing to the words, After six. This moved him to prepare for death, and for six years he continued to watch and pray. When, at the end of the sixth year, he found the warning verified in his election as emperor. Thus trained in the fear of God, he ascended the throne with but one thought, to reign for his greater glory. The pagan Slavs were then despoiling the empire. Henry attacked them with a small force, but angels and saints were seen leading his troops, and the heathen fled in despair. Poland and Bohemia, Moravia and Burgundy, were in turn annexed to his kingdom. Pannonia and Hungary won to the church. With the faith secured in Germany, Henry passed into Italy, drove out the anti-pope Gregory, brought Benedict VIII back to Rome, and was crowned in St. Peter's by that pontiff in 1014. It was Henry's custom on arriving in any town to spend his first night in watching in some church dedicated to our Blessed Lady. As he was thus praying in St. Mary's Major, the first night of his arrival in Rome, he saw the sovereign and eternal priest Christ Jesus enter to say Mass. St. Lawrence and Vincent assisted as deacon and subdeacon. Saints innumerable filled the church, and angels sang in the choir. After the gospel, an angel was sent by Our Lady to give Henry the book to kiss. Touching him lightly on the thigh, as the angel did to Jacob, he said, Accept the sign of God's love for your chastity and justice. And from that time the emperor always was lame. Like holy David, Henry employed the fruits of his conquest in the service of the temple. The forests and mines of the empire, the best that his treasury could produce, were consecrated to the sanctuary. Stately cathedrals, noble monasteries, churches innumerable, enlightened and sanctified the once heathen lands. In 1022, Henry lay on his bed of death. He gave back to her parents his wife, St. Cunegunda, a virgin still, as a virgin he had received her from Christ, and surrendered his own pure soul to God. Reflection St. Henry deprived himself of many things to enrich the house of God. We clothe ourselves in purple and fine linen, and leave Jesus in poverty and neglect. End of section 14 Recording by Maria Therese